I think some of the gigs I had at the beginning were not lucrative. So at the beginning, I was being paid by the hour, doing things that were lower um, on the pay scale, at least in the gigs I was in, more like copywriting, social media management, and I couldn't see how I was gonna get out of that. I couldn't see how I was ever gonna make the money I wanted to make, and that's really when I got attracted to passive income. Hello everyone, welcome to my podcast, TikTok, a podcast where I talk to people about what makes them tick. Hey everyone, it's Rohan here, welcome to TikTok. Today I'm talking to Sam LaLiberty, and Sam is the founder of the Freedom Lifestyle podcast and community. And she's actually the person who was the catalyst for me launching this podcast. So story there being, I had this idea of launching a podcast for a while, but didn't really know where to start. And uh, she was teaching a course at the co-working space where I work called How to Launch a Podcast on a Budget. And I thought, what better opportunity to actually get this thing kickstarted than uh, taking a course on it. And the course was super practical, super actionable, and really made the whole task of starting this thing way less intimidating. So if you are thinking of starting a podcast, highly, highly recommend checking out her course. She now has an online version of it at uh, launchapodcastonabudget.com. So highly recommend if you are thinking about starting a podcast. Sam really walks the talk on wanting to help out entrepreneurs and creatives to um, improve their podcasting or to help them go on a journey where they can live with more freedom. And just to give you one example of that, when we met up to record this particular podcast, uh, she told me that it might be a better experience for me uh, to record it with earphones for both myself and the guest to be able to hear what we're saying in real time. And I told her I don't have the earphone splitter, nor do I have two earphones for us, uh, but that maybe I'd try it for the next guest. And she was like, let me go run and get that from my house so you can try it in an environment where you're with someone who already knows how it works. And I just thought that was extremely kind of her to do. And it just goes to show that she really wants to help the people uh, that subscribe to her movement and, and just help anyone in general. We touch upon a lot of things in this podcast, but the main focus is around how she navigated her journey of quitting her corporate job and starting to work for herself, what it takes to make money when you do that, um, the kind of fears and the risks that you're taking and how to navigate that tactically as well as emotionally. And I am super impressed by all that she's done. And I think uh, she's the perfect person to listen to if you're thinking of embarking on a journey like that on your own, because she is still close enough to it to be able to teach it in a really practical, intangible way. I really had a great time chatting with her, and I hope you enjoy listening to this. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Um, I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate it. And just wanted to start off by saying thank you for the course that you taught, which is basically how this happened. 
Um, if you were to ask my friends, they would say for like two years now, I've been saying, I want to start a podcast. I should start a podcast. Starting a podcast would be fun. Um, but just saying it. And then after the course, I remember coming back home and telling my girlfriend, I think I'm going to start the podcast now. Um, it was super practical and super action oriented and made the whole thing way less scary. So thank Amazing. you. Thank you for coming and saying that. Yeah, that's exactly the reason I wanted to create the course to help people go from wannabe aspiring podcaster to podcaster in like an evening. And I'm so excited you launched and I've listened to some of the episodes and you're doing a great job. So I was excited to say yes when you asked me to be on the show, of course. Awesome. Okay, I want to start this off by setting some some context up with what you do right now. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically, if you were to meet someone at a party and they asked you, hey Sam, what do you do? How would you answer that question? Mm, I, actually, I actually have a variety of answers okay. based on how I'm feeling that day. And I've talked to other nomads who are the same thing. It's complicated. And some people are like, what do you mean you work on the internet? But like, what do you do? Sometimes my dad will be like, okay, seriously, like, are you doing something illegal? And it's like, no, I work online as a digital nomad, which means that I've set up my entire workflow so all of the ways i'm making money is all location independent and so for the most part i can work from anywhere and i really focus on diversifying it so i have multiple streams of income which when you hear that you're not really saying anything which is the point it's like a lifestyle first approach to creating your career which means that yeah i kind of make money on my own terms well, that sounds very nice. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would be like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, and then they probably ask, like, what do you actually do to make money on your mm -hmm. own terms? Mm -hmm. Like, um, give me the secret. Yeah, and then exactly. And it feels like you're holding back a secret. And it's like, well, no, I just kind of figured out how to monetize my own skills and the things I liked doing in a way that worked for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I really want to dig into how you got to that state because I know it wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. So I've listened to your podcast as well and you've talked a bit about your own journey. Um, so it seemed like you started off at a sales job before this whole journey started. At what point in the sales job were you like, this is not the kind of life that I wanna live? Mm -hmm. Well, I was in sales kind of in my mid 20s. I just turned 30 this year to give some context on where we're at in the lifespan. But in my early 20s, basically as soon as I finished university, I started either working for startups or I had my first couple of businesses. So I'd already had that taste of self-employment, creating my own hours, working wherever, and, and kind of benefiting from that lifestyle. So when I jumped into a sales role, Right from the beginning, I realized how it was different. I had to be in the office. There was just a lot more rules and a lot more of the basic nine to five life that I had already yep. learned didn't work that well for me. So pretty much early on, I knew that it wasn't gonna last forever, but sales, it can be pretty lucrative if you're good at it. I was making commission, I was making money. It was a startup with a lot of young people my age. It was fun, it was cool, I liked the product. So for a good year, I just kinda went with it, knowing that it wasn't gonna be something I could do forever. What was the, the product? The product was is a software company, so software as a service, and we created a product that helped companies empower their own employees to share on social media about the company. 
So essentially it would be like a content library. You'd give your employees, here's some cool articles to show, you know, you're an expert in this topic if you're in sales and that'll help you do your job. Or, you know, we're hiring for some employees, like maybe your friends can, you know, join the team. So making it super easy for your own employees to, you know, promote about the company online in a way that was like fun and we could track it. And yeah, it was super interesting and related to stuff I had done previously. So I was into it. That seems like a win-win. I always mm-hmm. find with sales jobs, if you're not into the product, whole different experience. Yeah. It's like a pretty, it sounds not so great. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had the experience of selling something I really didn't want to sell. I think I did some fundraising early on in my career, which was like super tough calling people and asking them to, you know, donate money or even sometimes worse, go fundraise by going door to door in the middle of winter. Like that was a really big ask. But for this, I believed in the product and I genuinely thought it could help these companies. And as an employee who's trying to create a personal brand, if you make it easy for me to create my personal brand, I'm down. So it seemed Mm -hmm. like it made sense. Nice. Yeah. Is that when you decided, okay, maybe this is too stringent for me. Let me go start another company. You started another company, right? Kind of, sort of. It actually is a love story, which I tell people that people don't really realize in the sense that I was in a long distance relationship. My boyfriend had moved to San Francisco. He was working for Uber and he had moved maybe like four or five months prior to this moment where I was getting, there was no work from home policy at my current company. So I would go to San Francisco, I'd arrive late Friday night and I'd have to leave on the last possible flight on Sunday, like two nights, maybe three if it's a long weekend. And I would tell my boss, like, come on, everything's transparent. You can see how many sales calls I'm making. You're gonna fire me if I'm not hitting my quota anyway. Why don't you just trust me to work from the Uber office for a couple days? They had a massive cool office in San Francisco, free lunch, all this stuff. (laughs) He would sneak me in, it was no problem and they weren't that open to it. So I think a couple of visits seeing him made me really realize, okay, this isn't gonna be sustainable and I'm gonna choose this relationship over this job that's like, okay, for now. But at first I was just gonna go try to get a software job in San Francisco. Like that was my plan, just insert myself, similar role, get a visa in the US. But this was 2016 when Trump had just got elected and like no company wanted to sponsor a Canadian. So that's actually how I started to figure out how can I start working for myself so that I can actually make money from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's when you started Freedom Lifestyle. Freedom Lifestyle, the podcast, my freelance career and all the products that have come from it. It really started with this desire to kind of just be with my boyfriend. And at first it was... I imagined spending half my time in San Francisco, half my time in Toronto, but then he saw me doing this and he was like, oh, I I want that freedom as well. So then he quit his job four months later and then we were like, well, maybe it's not just Toronto, San Francisco, maybe it's anywhere. And so it's been a really fun two years crafting our lives together and figuring out how to work online and where we want to work and all that. And yeah, it's been an amazing year. I think I traveled seven months this year already. Yeah. So it's been nuts. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think so from my friends, a lot of people I've talked to and part of why I wanted to have this conversation is a lot of people are in a similar situation. Maybe they didn't have the whole San Francisco visa issue, Mm -hmm. but they have a job and they're like, wow, there's this whole world out there, but my job requirement requires me to be in this one building. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of unfortunate given we have the technology that makes it possible to do work from anywhere. Um, and a lot of people I've talked to want to go on this journey too but they're obviously scared of a lot of things. 
So since you've gone on that journey, I kind of wanted to dig into how you've overcome a lot of those different fears. Um, so to start, I went on your Facebook page and you posted a question saying, what is preventing you from you know, doing the freedom lifestyle? And there were a lot of like upvoted answers. So I thought we could just tackle some of them and see what your opinion on how you've overcome some of those issues are. Smart. You did so your research. <laughs> the top one was financials and financial freedom and this concept that you probably have to change your lifestyle. And I've heard you talk about this as well. You have to change your lifestyle in order to make this work, at least in the beginning while you're figuring stuff out. So what was that process for you and how did you kind of do it mentally as well as tactically? Yeah, it's definitely the biggest thing I hear is how am I going to maintain my current lifestyle? How am I going to make money? Am I okay with that instability? And so some people, a lot of the, the ways that they do it is they really hedge their bets. So they'll start a side hustle, they'll start bringing in side income, and until they can kind of see that clear path, then they're ready to jump. For me, it kind of had to be all or nothing. Yeah. By forcing myself into a situation is actually when I can do my best work, but that's not for everybody. So I really encourage people to think honestly about who you are. And that's to me is the most motivating thing ever. And I was super poor for an entire year. I basically spent my money on the bare minimums. I started the process by looking at three months worth of credit card and bank statements. And for the first time actually looked at what it cost me to live. So actually put a total on how much money I spent on my groceries every single month. Like how much money am I actually spending on Ubers at restaurants, shopping, getting my nails done, going for happy hour drinks, all of the things going to the movies, whatever it may be which I had never done before. Personal finance, you know, I'm a marketer, I'm a salesperson. Money was always coming in, money was coming out. I made more than it cost me to live and I was cool with that. But for the first time, I actually had to make sure I wasn't completely depleting my savings. So figured out what those categories were and then tried to drop them by like $700 a month so that it cost me less to live. And it was actually easier to do than I thought. I went to the grocery store and I bought stuff that was on sale. It sounds like a mind blowing concept, but I would get the organic carrots. I would get whatever I wanted. I didn't even think twice. And I was finding myself being like, okay, well this is on sale this week. Like how can I incorporate this? Or I live in Toronto. The city is so walkable. Why don't I just like walk somewhere and Hey, that's kind of like free exercise for the day instead of the Uber. And I had a lot of fun with spending less money. And two years later, I'm making way more money than I made in my sales job, which is epic. And I finally oh, got awesome. there and I still have, you know, non painted nails. Like I'm doing them myself. I rarely take Ubers. I rarely take myself out for dinner. And I'm very conscious because I work so hard for my money now versus like, Oh, made another sales deal. Like that'll be my bank account in two weeks. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. super inspiring because mm -hmm. I think what you said in the beginning, it's something that I've been trying to think through is can restrictions actually make your life simpler and better? And I think that's the whole idea of having just one thing in the wardrobe. And it's just that since you have nothing else, you know what you're wearing and then you don't have to use your mind space to think about, I could be doing this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And probably the same thing with like going out. If you, if you're just like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. This is the only thing I can do maybe makes your life simpler and better in a sense. 
Definitely. But I don't want it to also seem too restrictive for people. Like there's going to be frills in your life that are important to you. So what you just said is something my boyfriend always says is like, well, I only need four t-shirts and I just like wearing the same thing every day. And that hurts me because I love fashion. I love being stylish. My first business was a retail business that I ran for three years. So it was really hard for me to not update my wardrobe for, you know, the current seasons. So rather than just say, I'm never buying clothes anymore, mm -hmm. I started thrift shopping and I love thrift shopping. This shirt I got like $3 literally. Wow. <laughs> I've gotten so many compliments on it. There's such good thrift shopping in Toronto. So if there's something where you're thinking, but I love that, you know, maybe you love going for drinks with your friends. You find it like super fun to do that as a way to catch up. Find the places that have happy hour. Find the place that have half a bottle of wine. Host them at your house. Like there are ways that you can still do that. You just have to find a creative solution to get there. Mm -hmm. And I don't judge anyone who says, well, like this makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And it's just about like finding creative alternatives to it. Mm -hmm. Have you read Ramit Sethi's book on, I, I will teach you to be rich? No. Okay. So he, I haven't read the book either. I just mm -hmm. listened to a bunch of podcasts with him on it. And he has this concept of money dials. It's a personal finance book. And his whole thing is find like the two or three things in your life that make you really happy and figure out what those would be like if you spent like 5x the amount of dollars on that. But then find all the other categories that you don't really care about and try and bring your spending to as close to zero as possible. Mm -hmm. So it kind of seems a bit like that. It's just mm -hmm. like find out what's important to you. Make sure those are not altered or find a creative solution to make those as fulfilling. And then all those things that you don't really need that you end up spending on anyways, like mm -hmm. for me, that's transportation. Like I can easily walk to places in a city like Toronto or in the summer bike. But then sometimes I'm like, oh, I could take the subway. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I could take an Uber. But if there was a, like, those aren't necessities in my life to take mm -hmm. an Uber. So just walking instead. Um, the second one that came up was imposter syndrome. A lot of people, when they're trying to go from something corporate to something creative, and they haven't done that before. It can seem daunting to be like, the people in this industry have been doing this for so long. Do I fit in here? Did you feel that at all? Or have you dealt with other people who felt that? I definitely felt that in launching my podcast show. I think that the week I launched my first episode, at this time, I had not figured out the Freedom Lifestyle. So my show is called Freedom Lifestyle. It's kind of interviewing people that have a similar mindset and vision for how they're creating their career on their own terms. But at the time, I was kind of using the podcast as a way to get inspiration for myself. I didn't really know how I was going to do it. I had been doing software sales for a while, so I hadn't done anything creative in a while. At least in my role in sales, I just went to work every day and I had to have the same conversations, show the same slide deck, run the same product. We had one product to sell. Like it wasn't that creative. So when I was launching the podcast, I was kind of in an identity crisis of what are people going to think of me? Does this even make sense? She's literally had one business. She's 28 or 27, however old I was at the time. And what are they going to think? And can I be a podcaster? Do I have a good enough voice? Will I ask the right questions? Will I be interesting enough? Am I smart enough? So yeah, I totally had all the feels around that. And I, I still, it still happens sometimes. I think that confidence is something I'm always working on. And yeah, I would say imposter syndrome really hit me when it comes to launching a podcast show, but I'm really glad it didn't prevent me from doing so because it just allowed me to have the freedom lifestyle. And now 
you're interviewing me. Like this should be a sign of, I have figured it out right on the days where I'm like, am I a fraud? Do I actually know what I'm doing? So how did you find yourself overcoming it? Was it just by doing the work and producing and producing until at one point it started deteriorating? I, I overcompensate, I think, by being generous with what I know. So I'm very aware that I don't know everything. I'm very aware that I don't know everything about podcasting, yet I still have taught a course, you know, 15 times on how to start a podcast. I am very aware that I don't know everything about creating passive income, but, you know, I have created multiple passive income streams and I've done it in my own way. So I think what I do is I just am very generous with things I've figured out along the way and I share with people and I share my own tips and I'm honest about what I know and what I don't know. And I think if I'm just real, then I'm not really being an imposter. I'm acknowledging that I'm not, don't know everything, but I do know a lot and I'm going to keep reading about it and I'm going to keep telling you things that I think are helpful. And I think that helped. And then by nature of that, people started giving me that validation by inviting me to be on podcasts, inviting me to speak at events, asking to pick my brain, paying for my workshops. So I think that's been my strategy of doing it anyway. And of course, you know, there's courage and some risk involved, which I've built up that risk tolerance in my early twenties by starting businesses, by Mm. working in startups. So I feel like that lesson is so key because you can't really feel like a fraud or an imposter if you're from the outset saying, this is what I am and this is where I'm at in my journey. But since I'm here, I can help you Mm -hmm. rather than being like, I'm an expert in podcasting or I'm the top ex podcaster. Just say, I'm starting off, but I've learned a lot, but I also want to share that with you. And that's my whole brand. Definitely. And I don't, I think if everyone thinks they need to be the top 1% or the best in any category before your story is worthy to tell or that your platform will draw an audience. I think that's such a shame. I think that's such a missed opportunity. And I actually get a lot of feedback from people saying that other podcast shows that are in my, let's say, genre of business, of society and culture are less relatable because they're just interviewing the same people, the Gabby Bernsteins, the Lewis Howes, the Tim Ferrises, the Seth Godins, and it's too far removed from them. So when I have people on my show that are, you know, Toronto-based in their first year of freelance, figuring it out in their 20s as well, people are actually drawn to that. They can see mm-hmm. themselves more in it. So I think there's a total, um, there's there's lots of space for that. And I think people should just go for it and share with where they're at. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same with the course that you taught because in this or in other domains where I've been taught something, sometimes when the person has gone past the having done it themselves, the hard work themselves, and they've been doing it for 30 years, and then they teach a group of kids on how to do that thing, Sometimes it seems like they've forgotten what their journey was really like, like Mm -hmm. what the struggles were, um, how hard it is to edit on GarageBand, like all those minute practical details can be forgotten if you've been doing it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you went through the journey are still going through some of the journey and then sharing along the way makes that a lot more relatable as well. Cool. Thanks for that feedback. Um, Okay. The third one wasn't on this list in the Facebook page, but it's something that I dealt with when I started my current job, which was a remote job in the beginning. So I was working from Toronto, from my house, uh, before we got into this WeWork and had a few more people in Toronto. Um, The isolation of working alone, because I actually thought I was going to go crazy. Mm. Uh, Just not talking to people, even meetings online didn't seem to facilitate the same kind of human connection. 
and just being at home for extended periods of time for days in a row, uh, yeah, I actually thought it was, I was going to go crazy. So I'm wondering if you felt that at all going from an office environment to a non-office environment and how you kind of dealt with it. I think what helped me avoid that, that I've heard from a lot of people is the fact that I had this podcast. So in addition to creating these revenue streams for myself, I was doing a lot of what we're doing right now. I was interviewing people. I was having conversations. I was going to tons of networking events. I was, yeah, I was kind of all always popping into different co-working spaces, going to events, going to socials at night, interviewing people so that when I did finally have time to get work done, I wanted isolation. I needed no distraction. I wanted to just be me and my cat on the couch. Mm -hmm. However, I will say becoming a digital nomad and traveling for long periods of time, I definitely felt isolation and loneliness and a bit of depression at times. I read this article that I'm actually going to share tomorrow in my email newsletter about... Airbnb has this whole quote about belong anywhere Mm -hmm. and it's, you can't just belong anywhere. You can't just pick yourself up and insert yourself into a city where you don't know anybody and expect to have that same sense of community that you get from strong relationships around you. And so I definitely feel that. And that's something I'm thinking about. Like it's really fun and exciting. You're always meeting new people, but there's, there's something totally different about just hanging out with people that have known you for years and there's that deep connection. So I would say for people that are, you know, feeling lonely, working from home, working remotely, what can you do in the evenings and the weekend to refill yourself? And, you know, maybe you do a fitness class in the middle of the day instead of at night so that at night you can go have dinner with a friend or you can have a friend over, or you can go visit your family. Like one of the perks of the remote lifestyle for me is how much time I can actually spend with my family. I'm not sure if your family lives close by, but I'll go to Sudbury. It's four hours North and Mm -hmm. I'll spend like two weeks with my grandma. It's the best thing. And I just go work in the basement while she's watching her soap operas. And then when she's done her show and I'm done my work, we'll have dinner together. And I fill myself up that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how I've, I've kind of combated it. Mm -hmm. The fact that you mentioned about working remotely is interesting. So when you were working abroad in different countries where you didn't have your close friend circle or your family, is that where you felt a little bit of that isolation and loneliness? Yeah, because you also are aware, because we have technology and social media, you know what you're missing. Like I'm part of the group chats. I have so many group chats, my friends here, and they're organizing cottage weekends and they're organizing surprises for a friend's birthday and you're missing these things and it's very apparent what you're missing and it's sad. And I think that I was lucky that I was traveling with my boyfriend for the most part. So that helped a little bit, but still like too much time with anyone, you're going to drive each other crazy. So, you know, we would have to take breaks from each other and I would miss my friends. And it was something that definitely made me mindful of would I, could I do this for a year? I met so many travels, travelers. And when you're traveling long-term, um, a, a big question is like, oh, how long are you traveling for? And there's kind of almost this competition with like, oh, only four months. Yeah, I'm on my year trip. And I'd be insecure and we'd be like, oh, maybe we should go for an entire year. And four months in, I'm like, nah. I think three months is good. Come home for a few months, go back up for three months. And that's what I've been doing. And that what works for me. And it, I'm not in competition for how long I can be away from my people. Like, no, that's not for me. I feel you. I went to Colombia last year for an 11 day trip. So like a vacation, not even like a working remotely trip. And I went to this hostel where we were 15 people total and we all really got along. 
and all of us were solo travelers and every person that i met was their narrative was something like i'm here for a year and a half traveling south america then australia for a bit to get some money and then back to south america and i'm like a year and a half 11 days in i was like i'm ready to shower in my bathroom <laughs> because it is like just a completely different experience living with strangers in not so fancy like living conditions yeah um and i part of me was like is it a sign of weakness that i can't tolerate this for more um and i was like no i think if if i tried i could and i would get used to it but then another part of me was like but i like the fact that i can sleep in my room with the temperature that i want and with the shower just for myself and mm-hmm. so definitely when i heard that they were traveling for a year and a half i was like that is a whole new lifestyle Yeah, long-term travel and even short-term travel to developing countries like Colombia, that's not a vacation. Yeah. It is a personal development journey yes. and it's a growth opportunity, okay? I'm not hanging by the beach and having margaritas. I'm staying in hostels. I'm trying to sleep in dorms. I'm showering in cold water. I'm a vegan begging someone to give me something nutritionate, nutritional. And you're trying to make a workout work when you have at home you have your fitness classes and your regular things like yeah it's a personal development journey figuring it all out long long bus rides with no air conditioning or no bathroom on the bus like it it's not a vacation okay and i did this whole post about it because for four months of course i posted the best things you know look at us mm-hmm. on a yacht you know unlimited drinking we're having so much fun now we're in the amazon doing a trek now i'm at machu picchu but it's like there were so many things that led to these that you didn't see where i'm just like crying and dying and like freaking out on my boyfriend so i had actually collected a bunch of them and we did like probably a 16 like frame post and all of oh, wow. things and people love that the best mm-hmm. they were like thank you so much like for showing your like 100 mosquito bites on your leg and like showing the conditions of a room you had to stay in and it isn't always glamorous mhm and it's really I feel like important to share that vulnerability mm-hmm. because everyone else is sharing the highlights mm-hmm. and again it's not relatable as mm-hmm. much if they're like this was amazing everything mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. You um, want to be aspirational like I do I don't want to scare anyone away from it because I'm so happy I did I think I've grown so much this year but it's I've grown through challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recently started viewing travel as self-development rather than vacation and it kind of changed the whole perspective on the ROI. uh of it for me because i was like travel is very expensive if all things considered just going to a different country if maybe you're still paying rent in your original home country um that plus eating out every day it it, it can be very expensive and if it's just a vacation i was like oh that's a lot to pay for just a vacation but the moment and the colombia trip really changed it for me the moment i started viewing it as how much did i change because of that in the path that I wanted to change into. Mm. Um how much closer am I to the person that I want to be in some sense or figure something out um about my life that I didn't know before the trip. And that made it a lot more tangible. Like I felt like okay, that makes a lot more sense to justify kind of the cost. So that that perspective really changed it for me. So definitely resonate with what you're saying that it's not necessarily a vacation but an opportunity for growth. Mhm. Um the last one that was also very highly uploaded is this fear of failing. So we kind of touched on it a bit, but obviously if someone leaves a 9 to 5 job which has a steady income, 
um, and a lot of certainty in what the next day is going to look like, what the next month is going to look like, what the career progression is, and goes to something like what you've done, there is this, there's probably this like fear of what if this doesn't work? So how have you kind of dealt with that? And also, how do you recommend people de-risk the journey of leaving a corporate job and going into something like what you've done? Well, I guess you have to define what failure is to you and the meaning that you place on that. Because someone who doesn't necessarily hate corporate, but maybe wants to try out a passion of theirs and see if that can be a real business, but if it doesn't work, they know the job market's always there. I would say go all in on that because your fallback plan isn't that bad. You're employable and you can go back. For someone like me though, failure meant the freedom lifestyle is not reachable for me. And it meant I have to go back to a job and I have to go back to a situation that I've already decided and it was tough to identify that I don't fit this mold. Now imagine I have to face the reality of I have no choice and I can't figure this out and I can't make the money that I need to make and now I need to go back. So identifying what that fear is I find can be either really motivating for you to do whatever it takes to avoid it, or it can make it less scary and give yourself a time period. Say for a year, I'm going to explore this passion of mine. I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to see if it can be a real thing. And if it doesn't, you know what? It's not that bad and I don't mind going to an office. But if you're like me and you're really trying to change your lifestyle, then I would say just get scrappy, like get really creative. Think about all the different ways you can monetize skills you already have. Don't spend four months learning how to do something you've never done before. Think about things you already know how to do and go pitch people on paying you to do that on retainer or for a few hours or for some gig work just to get by. Like that's literally how I started. I did anything that anyone would pay me for remotely and it was random and it was chaotic and a lot of times it was boring and not that purposeful but my mission was freedom my mission was go work for wherever i want my mission was spend time with my boyfriend and once that mission was achieved i actually figured out how to still have this lifestyle but doing things i want to do and that is truly where i'm at where i'm making more money i am working on projects every day i like to do i'm excited i'm challenged and i have the lifestyle but it took some craziness and some chaos in the beginning and i think that was part of it but i was so motivated of the fear of not having of having to go back mm -hmm. so your path never in your mind were you of the uh of the narrative that okay i could try this for a year and if it doesn't work it's okay i can fall back on something like a sales job it was never okay but i knew i could okay yeah, I knew I could go back. I knew sales is very employable, especially in software sales. I was, I knew I could get a job easily, I, but I did not want to. And it was less about I had this idea for a particular business I was exploring. I had an idea for my life and I wanted to have a life first approach to my career and I wanted my career to be part of it and blend into it. But when I rank you know, work, relationships, health, wealth, friendships, pets, travel, <laughs> all the things. Like work is number not one on my list. And for other people it is. People in my family, people I'm close with. And that's that's 
that's a point of friction between us. And I have to accept that they're perfectly content with making work their number one priority. And I am not. And I'm really happy that I've figured out how to make life my priority while not also being completely poor. And I think that's the sweet spot is like still make as much money, but get to live life on your own terms. Mm -hmm. Was there any point in this journey where you seriously thought that it wasn't going to work? And what was kind of the, if there was, what was kind of the toss going through your head? I think some of the gigs I had at the beginning were not lucrative. So at the beginning, I was being paid by the hour, doing things that were lower um, on the pay scale, at least in the gigs I was in, more like copywriting, social media management. And I couldn't see how I was going to get out of that. I couldn't see how I was ever going to make the money I wanted to make. And that's really when I got attracted to passive income and how a lot of digital nomads are doing it, where they're not just making money when they're clocking in. Mm -hmm. They're creating digital products and passive income streams where they are making money when they sleep. And I was a sucker for that. I was like, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. And then I spent another year creating passive income streams and that's where I'm at. And now I'm going to spend next year and I'm going to scale those passive income streams and that to me is more exciting and that's how you can make money Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense and i saw you launched the podcast course online right Mm -hmm. that's part of this journey to make it passive totally i feel like that's super clever yeah thank you everyone who wants to start a podcast should check that out now there's no geographical excuses yeah literally on your own terms wherever whenever which is so fitting it's Mm -hmm. launch a podcast on a budget.com okay and how come you decided to go with your own platform rather than Udemy? I don't know if you put it on Udemy as well or something, but just thinking about distribution of, of something like that. Another great question. That was a huge decision. 99% of Udemy courses are sold for less than 10 bucks. Yeah. They always have the strike through of like yeah. $10,000 or if you buy it today, it's $8. Yeah. So my first online course, Real Meta, was how to start an online course. And I took a course that was on Udemy. It was about 10 bucks. And I took it as part of this journey of, I had already been running the workshops in person. That's Mm -hmm. how I validated the content, validated the idea. That's how you and I met. But I was getting requests from people saying, you know, I don't live in Toronto. Like, are you going to record it? Are you going to put it online? And I didn't just want to throw a laptop open and do a live stream. Like I want it to be high quality. I wanted Mm -hmm. it to be like a great product that was engaging and useful and yeah, high quality, great lighting, great camera effects. And so I didn't want to do it that way in terms of just throwing it online. And so then when I started figuring out, okay, how do you make a really professional course and how do you, you know, edit everything perfectly and do something really engaging, I realized, okay, well, I'm going to put a lot of work into this and this is going to be really professional. I don't want to sell this for 10 bucks. And that was really scary because Udemy seems like a really great option. You just put it on and Udemy sells it for you. And it was very risky. I'm paying for a platform that I think it's 60 bucks a month for me to host it on there, mm-hmm. whereas Udemy would have been free. And I'm responsible for driving all of my traffic to it, but yeah. I'm selling the course for $110 and it's working. And I'm so glad I did that. It's branded, it's professional, it's aligned with everything else I want to do, which is still do it myself. Um, still don't take myself that seriously. Like I'm not perfect, but it's still high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I made that decision. Okay. That's awesome. And as I was thinking about that, I saw that you put it on, on your own website rather than on Udemy. 
um, I was just thinking, I feel like a lot of the other things that you've done, which all kind of seem like they're their own thing, mm-hmm. can all kind of connect in this cohesive way. Mm-hmm. Because you have a community of people who are into this type of work. Probably a lot of them are interested in starting podcasts or know someone who's interested in starting a podcast or some sort of side hustle. And that community probably feeds a lot of people to the course. And then you teach the courses. And someone like me, if one of my friends is tells me I, I would want to start a podcast too, I would directly like link them to your course online if you're not doing one in person. So it's like a lot of those things connecting in ways to make a cohesive juggernaut of a of a business. So. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to make it cohesive. I also, my other passive income product is I have an e-commerce product with my boyfriend. We created a book for couples that are in long distance mm-hmm. relationships and it's totally drop shipping. So someone orders from the website, I don't see it, I don't touch it, it gets shipped from someone else and the money goes into my bank account. And so again, like how do you build that narrative? Well, it's like a lot of digital nomads or travelers, remote workers or long distance. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of double dipping into that community too. So I'm trying. Thanks for calling it cohesive. Sometimes it seems random. <laughs> no, I feel like it's it definitely seems like there's it's a it's cohesive. It's like alternative and, lifestyles. Exactly. It's kind of what I'm going for. And mm-hmm. like intentional living, even in your, your relationships. It's like why do you have to date within your zip code? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was that experience of starting of writing a book with your boyfriend? It's awful. Really? Yeah. Now it's now it's great Mm because now it's just sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. But have you ever like wrote an essay with more than one person or a blog post? Yeah, like group projects. Yeah, you're like arguing where the apostrophe goes. You're arguing about the semicolon. You're arguing about how wordy it should be. We joked that because that I write chapters like a blog post Mm -hmm. and he writes chapters like an entire book. So he is very detailed. Mm -hmm. He wants to provide a lot of value. He gets to give lots of examples. I want it to be short, sweet, fun, next. So Mm -hmm. we had very different styles. So it was painful, but it was... Parts of it were fun. Like I think coming up with the topics were fun, reflecting on our own long distance relationship Mm -hmm. and what worked for us and what kinds of activities we were going to do because it's an activity book. That was fun. Writing it was awful. The Kickstarter, which is how we launched, was exciting. Um, We hit our goal on the first day, which was cool. And then now it's just kind of like a side income stream Mm -hmm. for both of us where we're just, you know, sales and marketing and the fulfillment is, is outsourced, which is great. Mm -hmm. Do you think it brought you closer as a couple or? Mm, That's a good question. I think for a period of time, it definitely brought us further. Mm -hmm. I think now it's, yeah, I guess a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Closer to, yeah, (laughs) definitely closer to our goals and the lifestyle Mm -hmm. we want to have. But I think we also realized that we don't necessarily need to be in business together. When we were both starting our freelance careers, like one of the clients I have right now, he got me. He was working for them and then they needed a sales and marketing person. So of course he thinks of me. And then we would just get ourselves in these situations where we're like, why are we doing this? We're always talking about work. We're like arguing over little work things. Like I think these things should be more separate. So we're trying to create more separateness now. <laughs> not, not more. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie The Big Sick? No. Okay, so it's by this comedian, Kamal Nanjiani, and it's co-written by him and his wife, Emily Gordon, and I was just listening to a podcast with them on Brian Koppelman, um, and they talked about the experience of writing a movie together, both of them having ne- never written a movie before, and the way they described it, it was like everything was perfect. 
So that's why I was curious. They were like, oh, we're so complimentary. He has this way of doing things. So I would give him feedback on that. I have this way of doing things. So he would give me feedback and we'd come to a better end product together. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. So that's why I was curious. No, he, his Meyer Briggs is Mm INTJ. Myers Briggs is ESFP. We are literally complete opposites in every way and opposites definitely attract romantically, Mm -hmm. but business-wise it was so different. Like he is a Google Drive king and has all of his docs organized and would want to talk for like five hours about the minute details of the marketing plan and I'd be like, we're wasting time. Mm -hmm. Let's start marketing now. Like I take action, he plans. So I think you need both of us or else he'd be in analysis paralysis and I'd be just kind of like running with my head cut off. But it's still, I don't think we need that in our relationship. Mm -hmm. No. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, the way you describe it, I always find it interesting that it's either two people that are kind of opposite. Does that just work really well together in business or can it be conflict? I know. And it seems like every story I hear of two co-founders, a lot of them are very different. And sometimes it works. Well, all the stories I hear, that means it's worked really well. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to know that there's also cases where that can also be the source of conflict. I think with a non-romantic business partner, I think that's good. My first business, it was three of us and two of us were very similar. We had the same skill sets, the same idea. So it would be really fun, but we would have blind spots. And then I think when it comes to your romantic partner having a business with them like there's nothing sexy about arguing about shipping rates like yes you can have a good business but again it goes back to how i rank those things Mm -hmm. and work is not above my relationship so when i was having a successful business and a product that yes i guess we've thought of everything and we've used complementary skills but at the result of hurting my relationship and we don't even want to be in the same room to each other anymore, that doesn't work for me. Right. Um, and again, it's just like going back to those values and how I prioritize things. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good that you learned it in like a timeline bound project. Yes. And now it's over. Now it's done. pretty much on autopilot. Yes. So that's yes. great learning. Again, personal growth. Like yeah. <laughs> I know. And I'm glad we caught it early because he's always very excited about working together. And we'd be like, we literally have completely different skills. Maybe we can start an agency. Mm-hmm. Like we'll be self-employed together. And I don't think we're going anywhere near that. Okay. So now I know that if I ever want to start something with my girlfriend, we start with a blog post. <laughs> and that's the test. See how you guys See write your blog, blog post. Goes. See how that okay. goes. And do you want to cuddle after? Or like a Facebook update. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we did with our afternoon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the other thing I want to ask you about is going on a journey like you did. How was it uh, bringing your friends who are not going on this journey with you? Uh, I find that sometimes if you're doing something completely different and your friends maybe have a job, a more traditional job, was it ever a source of non, not, not being able to relate to them or them not being able to relate to you? Or were, were, was it cohesive in the sense that they came on the journey with you in some way? Now things are really good. There's two key low moment memories that I'll share with you that, um, that do come to mind. One was I was having, we were just getting together after work one day for wine and food, nothing crazy. We just hadn't seen each other a while. And there was three of us and two of the girls, you know, were at an office all day and I was at home working for myself, hustling in my own way. And there was this conflict where we all met up after and we still had to go get the items for food and, you know, the wine that we were going to enjoy together. And they were really annoyed that I didn't go get the items ahead of time. And they made a comment of, they were like, you've been at home all day. Like, 
work is so stressful. Mm -hmm. I don't think you remember what it's like going into an office. And I was just like, whoa. And it was like this whole thing where I realized I had to have a conversation with my own friends because what they think I'm doing in the reality, one of those memes were completely different. And I had to share with them that I'm working really hard. And this groceries that I paid for, like I worked my ass off Mm -hmm. to be able to buy these groceries and I'm hustling and I'm doing tasks. Like this is my year one where I'm like writing blog posts I don't want to write about. I'm copywriting about topics that are so boring to me. And I explained that to them and they were like, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I didn't even see your perspective. So that was like a super low moment, but we've moved past it and now everyone understands and has a respect of we each have our own stressors at work and no one has more free time than the other. And then the other one was actually a time where I was super triggered. So Columbia, it was also mm-hmm. in Columbia this year. I freaking love Columbia. Me too. And my friends, five of them joined me for a week. It was a 30th birthday party for one of the girls. And I remember we were all going out for dinner and the three of the girls were all talking about buying new comforters, like something super random. They were like talking about not renovating, but redecorating their bedrooms with their partners and how they're going to get new comforters and pillows. And I just remember tripping out. I'm like two months into my four month trip. I'm like living so minimally. I don't have a house. I have not upgraded my duvet comforter in years and I just kind of freaked out of am I falling behind they have all these things I don't want like should these be my problems and I met back up met back up with my boyfriend after and he just kind of you know checked me and he's like maybe they're triggered by you like you're going to Peru next and they're going back to their office job when they leave you like do you not think they want what you have and it took me a second, but that definitely, um, you can get triggered by your friends who have different lifestyles than you. And you can wonder if you're doing something wrong and if you're missing out on things and if you're falling behind. And I think that does happen. And it's the moments where they come to you for advice and mm-hmm. they share with you that they're not that happy or how can I do this that you realize, okay, you are onto something, calm down and you have different values and it's all good. Mm-hmm. I always find that in situations where you're living a different life or a different path, vulnerability always builds connection. Because similar to what you said, I feel like everyone wants to share the highlight reel of whatever life they're living. And unless you have those moments of vulnerability saying like, oh, we're both human, we're all human, and no one's life is really perfect, I feel like that can really bring us back together. Mm-hmm. Um, or one of the ways of bringing us back together. So mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing those. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So to finish it off, wanted to do some more like rapid fire type questions, like our boy Tim Ferriss. Nice. Um, he's not actually our boy. I don't know him. You don't. He's my boy. He's your boy. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't know. Him <laughs> Neither of us. But know. I, he's inspiring. Yes, agreed. Um, what was your most memorable moment at Burning Man when you went? Oh, oh great question. Okay, what can I say that's PG? <laughs> It doesn't have to be PG. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. Okay, I've got a memory. So, okay. Burning... This isn't really rapid fire. Are we t- storytelling? Yeah, or? storytelling. Story okay, storytelling. Story yeah. So, Burning Man is iconic for the dust storms, right? Mm-hmm. Part of the fashion, as well as the functionality is to wear, like, ski masks mm-hmm. and goggles because you have to ride around on a, a bike to get anywhere. It's, like, very far distances. And the dust and the sand can be in your eyes and it can be nuts if there's a windstorm. 
And we're like day three or day four and we've had perfect weather. There's been no wind storms, there's been no dust storms that we had talked about. And we said, we're like, oh, you know, I kind of feel like I'm missing out on the experience. Like I kind of wish something like that happened. Hmm. Later that night, of course, the most intense dust storm comes in. We're listening to a DJ set. We're there early, so when we get there, we just like put our bikes down. Don't think anything of it. There's maybe like 40 bikes. We put them beside an art car, which is a structure that moves. And we're like, okay, our bikes are right beside that art car. So then we go dance to Zoo, this DJ, for like three hours, classic. And we're like, hey, we're ready to go. And one of our friends comes back and he's like, guys, there's a crazy dust storm out there. We didn't even notice everyone's partying. You're in this like enclosed area. We're like, oh, crazy. And he comes back and his eyelashes are just white. Like, he is wow. completely covered in white dust and we're like what the heck happened to you so we're like we better go so we go to go back not only has the art car that we put our bikes beside moved because these cars move around there went from 100 bikes to probably 1000 bikes and there's now hundreds of people walking around aimlessly looking for their bikes in this dust storm where you cannot see anything. Oh my God. It was complete chaos. We probably spent an hour and a half looking for our bikes where we said, okay, screw it. We just have to come back tomorrow and figure out how to get back to our camp. And it was crazy and it was ridiculous. And the next day we go back and there's maybe half a dozen or a dozen <laughs> bikes left of people who also did the same thing. But sure enough, our bikes were right there. We were like, someone stole them. Our bikes were moved. No, we just couldn't see anything. And yeah, we were completely white as well. And it was, yeah, we had the experience and we never wished for it again. How did you get back to camp? Hopped on an art car and then walked for a really, really long time at oh, sunrise, wow. basically. Okay. This is, Burning Man's definitely on my bucket list. So yeah, you gotta go. So when I that you went, I was like, definitely have to ask her about this. Yeah, great question. Um, okay, the second one was something you touched on is when you're traveling. I know you traveled a bunch this year. Uh, what have you found works well for keeping a routine? So like morning and nighttime routine, because I think a lot of people say that's very important, but it's hard to do, obviously, in hostels. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. There's things that you can control, but I don't want to make it too biased to me. So for example, things that I do no matter where I am is I do intermittent fasting. So I skip breakfast, I wait until noon to eat. That's something easy I can just say I'm doing it no matter wherever I am. Meditation is a nice way I like to start my day, starting my day without turning my phone on right away in bed and like doing a few things before I do that and like start the chaos as well as trying to find some fitness. Those are all things that you can pretty much do from anywhere. Fitness, you know, I traveled with uh, workout bands. Mm -hmm. They're really light. You can just throw them in your backpack or running shoes and you can go for a run or pop into a class. Uh, So I think those are the biggest things. I would really just kind of reflect on what tees yourself up um, when you're at home and when you have the luxury of sleeping in your own bed and waking up in your own apartment and being honest, is that something I'm going to be able to maintain while traveling? And if it's not, then proactively think about how you're going to deal with it versus just like getting there and it being complete chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, Examples for that of things we did not prepare ahead of time would be the eating thing. Being vegan in South America was painful, uh, especially for my boyfriend who's like mostly vegan because of me like he knows that it's a good thing to do and he likes the environment but he's not like a diehard animal fan like me so he got a little resentful about it sometimes Mm -hmm. and 
I think just we could have done a better job at researching what are vegan protein options in those places and how you're going to get them and finding restaurants ahead of time. Um, so yeah, that's the process I would go through. What is your routine now? Can you replicate that? And how could you, if you can't, how can you like get ahead of it? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's very useful. Um, you mentioned the workout bands, but any other travel tool or tools that you've found useful on your journey? Definitely. I have a podcast episode about this. I'm trying to think about some of the things. So eye mask, earplugs, of 100%. course, a good eye mask though mm -hmm. too. Not just like the dink, like the dinky free ones or like the cheap ones you can get from shoppers that are just going to wake up and it's not on your face. Like I got a really nice one for, um, holiday last year from my boyfriend. So get a good eye mask, get good earplugs. I also have a travel size pillow. It's basically like a camping pillow. You can look it up on Amazon. Um, but it's so amazing because I also bring that in my carry on and flights where a lot of people just have like the neck thing, which the blow up ones are pretty much all you can travel with and they're not that comfy, but these, these bigger size ones, you can actually like put on the front of your seat and put your like knees up. So your knees are against mm. that to help you sleep. Um, so that's really key on long buses, uh, in dorms where they only come with one pillow. Maybe you're someone who likes two pillows, which I am. I used it so much. I would definitely say get that. Um, another thing would be like a really good spork from mech so that you can be a bit more environmentally mm -hmm. friendly when you're traveling and not always using plastic. I always felt very empowered when I'd say, Nope, I don't need one of those. And I mm -hmm. would bring my own. I think that's key hand sanitizer more than you think you need. And then in terms of every other pair of clothing, less than you need, mm -hmm. like you really end up wearing the same things and it's not a fashion show and you're traveling it's function over fashion yep. for sure. A lot of Lululemon, a lot of stuff that you can sweat in, um, active wear. And yeah, it was not that fashionable, but I was okay with that. Okay. That's very useful. I'll, um, in the podcast episode, you have the actual products, the names of the products. Like mm -hmm. I'm asking, okay, I'll mm -hmm. link to that. Totally. And then I, I guess a backpack, a key, if you haven't bought a backpack is front load versus top open. Do you know the difference? Um, I know top open. Yeah. Do you have one of those? No, okay. I don't have a travel backpack. Okay. Well, backpacks are great if you're going to get a backpack because a lot of places where you're traveling, you can't really even use a wheelie around because right. there's no cement. It's just like dirt or like crazy uneven stuff. So you want a backpack, but the backpacks that just open from the top are awful. Like you just have to take I every single yeah. thing out <laughs> versus the front load. It's kind of like it opens with a mm -hmm. zipper all around and that's, that's amazing um, okay. to see everything. Okay. Awesome. Um, what is your definition of freedom? Being able to work wherever, whenever, however I want. Um, any books that have influenced you recently or at any point in mm -hmm. your life? Mm -hmm. Tried to read 12 books this year. Okay. Like typically a book a month. I don't know how I'm tracking, but I only have a few weeks left, so I got to get on it. If not, I really like the book, The Alchemist, which is about following your dreams. I think that came into my life during this transition, which was really good. And right now I'm reading The Four Agreements, which okay. is another like self-development book, which helps you just, you know, not make assumptions and things that could hold you back from a personal development standpoint. So I think those were two really good um, personal well-being type of books. And then some really amazing like fiction or nonfiction books that I've read as well would be, have you read The Art of Racing in the Rain? 
I haven't. I've okay. heard a lot about it. Yeah, they're about to make a movie out of it. I thought that book was really sweet. Again, an animal lover. Um, oh, I've seen the movie. I think have? the movie came out. Yeah. yeah, the movie just came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I, so this is a funny story. Okay. I was in the plane to Miami, and because our hotels are there, so I go there often. I was in the plane, and I was sitting in the middle seat, yeah. and it just so happened that this couple wanted to sit by choice one on the window one on the aisle huh. but they were a couple so they kept talking oh uh, to each other which i was like okay this is not ideal yeah but then i was like okay what should i do it's like a three-hour flight i turned on this movie and i just had my earphones on watching this movie and like halfway through i start sobbing <laughs> and they're just like they're talking to each other and they start seeing tears come out of my eyes and they're like what is going on and they look at the screen it's a dog and then like three-fourths of the way in i'm just like flat out crying it's very sad it's like a very sad sad movie yeah um and i thought it was a really well-made movie and uh after the flight they're like was everything okay i was like have you seen the art of racing in the rain (laughs) yeah so So. that comes to mind i read that book this year yeah i didn't know it was a book Mm -hmm. okay okay Mm -hmm. yeah that would probably be an emotional journey Mm -hmm. that book Mm -hmm. so i like to sprinkle those types of reads in and between Mm -hmm. the intense like personal development stuff Uh, I can read through them faster. It's a lot less intense to go to bed with reading something like that. So we did a lot of that kind of reading while we were traveling and we would read the same books. We both had Kindles and we would read the same book. Oh, to be able to talk about it? Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. (laughs) We started doing that as long distance. It's a really fun long distance Mm -hmm. activity is read the same book and then talk about it on your weekly calls kind of thing. Would you ever... What if one person's ahead? You have this rule of oh, no spoiling. Oh, he reads so much faster than me. It's so annoying. Sometimes I'd be like, don't read. Like, stop <laughs> reading it. Like, stop reading it. Because he would read so much faster. Yeah, he would just... I Basically, I would talk about where I was at. And he'd be like, oh, it's about to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so right now we're both reading The Nightingale, which mm-hmm. is like a World War II book. And I'm actually ahead. So that's a nice place because he forgot his Kindle while he was traveling last week. You should just steal his Kindle one day. Right? And read the whole book and then spoil it for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, another one stolen from our friend Tim Ferriss uh, the billboard question so if you could hypothetically have a billboard to get a message out to many people what do you think you would write on it yeah I've thought about this because I've heard that question Mm -hmm. I would write eat less meat okay yeah explain I mean I I understand the (laughs) I definitely understand the environmental what is your I guess I I've seen different people have different rationale for going vegetarian or vegan. So what is your rationale? All the reasons. Yeah, that's kind of my answer. I was 17 when I decided I was going to stop eating meat. So it's been 13 years. Mm -hmm. And I, at the beginning at 17, I knew nothing about health. I knew nothing about the environment. I was a little brat going to university who just loved animals. And I was just very empowered by the fact that I now had a meal plan card. I could finally be vegetarian. So... that's how I started. I love animals, but then also learned a ton about the health benefits for yourself and a lot of the like really good things you can do for yourself for longevity and health wise. And then of course the environmental impact, I think it's like the best thing you can do that. And unfortunately fly less, which is a Mm -hmm. super inconvenient truth, literally the definition to me of an inconvenient truth. Um, so yeah, I think just eat less meat, there's so mm-hmm. many good alternatives these days and so many good options and you don't need as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to, again, another podcast with one of the co-founders of WeWork mm-hmm. and he was talking about WeWork recently went all vegetarian with events inside their facilities mm-hmm. and he was talking about the rationale as to why. And I just thought he phrased it in a really 
interesting way that I think could be more palatable to hardcore non-vegetarians. Let's hear it. And his thinking was, um, if someone grew up with their grandmother's meatballs, for example, to tell them to say you're not going to eat that anymore is like a really hard truth to bear. Yeah. But his thinking was usually when you're at office meetings or meetings at a at your office or a co-working space, the food is not usually the center of why you're there. It's not the reason why you're there. Versus if you're at your grandmother's house eating a dinner with the family, the food is like one of the big reasons as to why you're there. Um, but his thinking was, if we can just cut out all meat in situations where food is not really the reason why you're there, that already cuts down so much of the meat consumption. Um, so just having a networking event and there's like sandwiches on the side, to have them be all vegetarian, I don't think people would be that upset. Mm -hmm. The hardcore meat eaters even, because they're like, I'm here for the networking. Mm -hmm. But if you do that at scale, it cuts out so much meat consumption. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was like one palatable way totally. to kind of so transition people yeah. into something that normally they would freak out about. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay, last question. So uh, as you know, this podcast is called TikTok, and it's about uh, talking to people about what makes them tick. So what is it that makes you tick or gets you excited these days? I think we've talked a lot about like travel and passive income. Mm -hmm. I think those things are really exciting. But to touch on something different, I think like truly living an authentic life, even though that's gonna that's gonna be super uncomfortable and take courage sometimes. I think for a while I was trying to do that in a small way and I think I've been doing it but I think where I'm at with 2020 is I'm just doubling down and I think it's like combination of turning 30 and maybe the new like 2020 and it's just I just feel ready to just really just show up who I am the good things the negative things and not try to please so much or worry so much what people think I'm super excited about that and just yeah, just like really doubling down on who I am. I think that's making me excited and making me feel like I can actually be myself versus what society tells you to be. I think that's a beautiful place to end it. Yeah. And we're you. getting kicked out of the room. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> awesome. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Thank you me. so much for doing this Great and taking questions. the time. Thank you all for listening to this. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, this is TikTok. Thank you.